0: The Seahawks have yet to name a successor to Pete Carroll, but their patience may pay off with plenty of options available and only one other competitor still looking for a head coach. I'll be breaking down the latest on Seattle's coaching hunt up next here on our Thursday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening in Edmonds, Washington or Overland Park, Kansas, we greatly appreciate each and every one of you for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. The Seahawks still don't have a new head coach, but Things may be trending in an ideal direction for John Schneider, Jody Allen and company as they pursue a replacement for Pete Carroll. I'll be providing the latest updates on the NFL coaching carousel and why the Seahawks may be sitting pretty here heading towards championship weekend as they continue to vet candidates for that coaching position. Plus, have a close look at the upcoming pending free agents for the Seahawks as well as the edge and outside linebacker group report card jam-packed episode coming your way courtesy of Price picks the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to NFL and use the code all lowercase LOCKEDONNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Now for your lead story here on our Thursday edition of Locked on Seahawks. And then there were two. That's all the vacancies that remain for head coaches in the NFL after today, a busy morning and afternoon. The Carolina Panthers announcing that Dave Canales, former Seahawks assistant Dave Canales, would be taking over as their new head coach. And a few hours later, the Atlanta Falcons hired Raheem Morris, the former defensive coordinator, for the Los Angeles Rams, who had two interviews scheduled. He did not have that second interview with the Seahawks, however. So he will be heading back to Atlanta, where he was an assistant under Dan Quinn for five years and was an interim head coach during the 2020 season. But away from Raheem Morris, if you're the Seahawks thinking big picture here, Dave Canales was never linked back to Seattle. That doesn't mean that the Seahawks didn't sniff around potentially and look at that as an option. But the Panthers were aggressive right off the bat going after him. There were no reports out there linking Canales to the Seahawks. They were never linked to Jim Harbaugh, who was hired as the Los Angeles Chargers new coach on Wednesday Morris is the only coach that they have interviewed that has taken a job with any of the other teams that were pursuing a new head coach. And you look at where things stand now, only the commanders and the Seahawks remain among the seven teams that had coaching openings going into this year's carousel. As I said, Jim Harbaugh going to L.A. or returning to the NFL, Raheem Morris with the Falcons, Dave Canales with the Panthers, Drod Mayo basically became the Patriots coach before Bill Belichick even officially was out the door and Brian Callahan going to the Tennessee Titans to bring them an offensive minded coach. But again, only one of the coaches I just mentioned there, Raheem Morris had an interview with the Seattle Seahawks. And so John Schneider, Jody Allen, everybody else that's involved in this head coaching search process has to be really excited about where things stand right now. Because clearly, aside from Raheem Morris, none of the coaches that they were vetting for this job, none of them have been hired. They are still available, all of those candidates. They've got a couple other second interviews that are scheduled here in the next couple of days. So John Schneider and company are going to continue to do their due diligence, and they're going to be patient. The rules were changed this year in part to try to, make this process last a little bit longer. And it certainly has done that. A lot of teams were patient up to this point, but we have seen in the last two days, three teams hire coaches. So now only the commanders and the Seahawks remain. You only have one competitor. Now the commanders, from what I've been told, Ben Johnson is their number one target by a wide margin. So barring a major shift there or Ben Johnson deciding that's not where he wants to go, Johnson looks like he right now would be the heavy favorite to take that job. So, Seahawks fans that are hoping to see Ben Johnson take over as head coach, I'm not going to say that it's not possible, but right now, the commanders with a top five draft pick and a lot of cap space, there are some reasons why that may be an ideal situation for a first time head coach like Ben Johnson to be able to mold his own quarterback in the nation's capital. So, we'll see what happens on that front. The Seahawks have had one interview with Ben Johnson, but you look at the rest of the available candidates that the Seahawks can choose from. Again, options plenty here. Ben Johnson leading the offensive coaches. I've still got Frank Smith high on my list, although based on discussions I've had, I'm not, I'm not really expecting to see him continue to be in the mix with the Seahawks. He had one interview, but he is a guy that I have a lot of respect for. Bobby Slowick now... If Ben Johnson is going to be hired by the commanders, Bobby Slowick, the only opportunity he has to be a head coach is in Seattle. So maybe now the Seahawks take a second look at him and Mike Kafka from the Giants. He had a second interview with the Seahawks this week. So clearly they are interested in the former Chiefs quarterback coach who worked with Patrick Mahomes and is considered one of the best bright young offensive minds out there on the defensive side of the football though this is really where you can strike gold if you want a defensive coach Mike McDonald is still out there and we've talked about this on the podcast the last few days and I did a lot of deep digging cuz the new rules they're kind of complicated and there was a lot of conflicting things out there but The Seahawks, because they waited until the Wednesday after the season ended, three days after the season ended, to announce Pete Carroll's dismissal from the coaching position, they had a very limited window to request an interview with Mike McDonald. And based on the discussions I've had for the last several days, John Schneider and company want to speak with Mike McDonald. Now, the problem is because they haven't had that first interview with him, they can't talk to him until the Ravens either are eliminated from the playoffs or they win the Super Bowl. So you're looking in mid-February potentially where you would have an opportunity to talk to Mike McDonald. Are they going to be that patient where they're willing to wait that long if he's the coach they really want? Because if you take that particular route and then you swing and miss and McDonald doesn't want to come to Seattle – now you probably don't have a lot of the candidates out there. I mean, most of these guys are going to be available, but if that's really who they want, then that would be a huge swing and miss if they are not able to make that higher. And there are several other quality coaches out there. Mike Vrabel, from my understanding, I don't know that there has even been one interview with him, but that does not mean that he couldn't re-enter this mix. Patrick Graham has interviewed twice, the young Raiders defensive coordinator, who is a Yale graduate, extremely intelligent guy that players have a lot of respect for Dan Quinn, who's been viewed as a front runner throughout this process. He just had his second interview with the Seahawks today. And Idro Ivero from the Panthers. I'm interested to see if he remains available because if the Seahawks have been vetting him as a potential defensive coordinator for whoever they hire as their head coach, Dave Canales might have something to say about that back in Carolina, trying to keep him in Carolina. So there's some different things there that may make this a little trickier to keep some of these coaches. If you're trying to vet potential coordinators to go with another head coach and candidate, but nonetheless, I just rattled off nine names there that could make a lot of sense for the Seahawks that they've either interviewed or in the case of Mike McDonald, I've been told that they would like to speak with. So any one of those coaches could be on the table for the seahawks and that is a great situation considering five of these openings have been filled and only one of those went to a candidate that the seahawks clearly had interest in in raheem morris this has worked out quite well being patient they still got to hit this out of the park this has got to be a home run higher you can't miss here but they now have a bevy of candidates that they can continue to do digging on and make sure that they make the right hire. Don't rush into making this decision. You don't have much competition. I expect the commanders are going to announce their coach pretty soon, and then that would lead the Seahawks by themselves to be able to pick from the litter here. So overall, this is an ideal situation, but you still have to maximize the candidates you have there and make sure that you pick the right one that's also going to bring the right staff in because that is just about as critical as anything you got to have a good head coach, but you also got to have a head coach that brings a quality coaching staff with him. So those are things that John Schneider, Jody Allen, and the rest of the front office are looking at right now. They've got to be really happy with how this has played out with the quality candidates that are still available for them to choose from to replace Pete Carroll. Coming up next, free agency a little over a month away, but it's time to take a first glance at who will be heading towards free agency for the Seahawks. We'll be talking unrestricted free agents, restricted free agents, and exclusive rights free agents. Don't go away. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode's brought your way by eBay Motors, passion drive and patience. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. A special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there for tuning in here on this Thursday night and making Locked on Seahawks your first listen. Five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Make sure to check out Locked On's first ever National Sports 24 7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today offers you 24 7 coverage with the top sports stories of the day. We've got our local experts of Locked On, plus national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever National Sports 24 7 streaming channel. Over the past few weeks, all the discussion in Seattle has been about the head coaching spot, and understandably so. This is a massive decision for the present and future of the Seattle Seahawks. But John Schneider's got more on his plate than just finding that next head coach. As the general manager and now the sole director of player personnel, He's going to have some difficult decisions to make coming up in free agency. The Seahawks currently do not have an ideal salary cap situation. Now, when we had Brad Spielberger of PFF on here last week, as he said, there are a lot of quick, easy ways the Seahawks can get themselves in a much better salary cap position. They are far from the worst situated team in that regard. But still negative effective cap space as of right now projected for the Seahawks. So there's going to be some difficult decisions. They're not going to be able to keep everybody. And there are some really solid football players that are on their list of free agents. Let's start with the unrestricted free agents. And these are the players that on March 13th, if the Seahawks have not agreed to a contract with them before the first day of the league year, they will be free to sign with whoever they want and the Seahawks can't do anything about it. These guys truly are unrestricted. If they want to go sign in Tennessee, they can go sign in Tennessee. They can go wherever they want and the Seahawks don't have any ability to stop them from signing elsewhere. So let's look at the cast of characters here. This year's unrestricted free agents The Seahawks currently have 14 players that are scheduled, and this is actually kind of a small number. A few years ago, they had 24 unrestricted free agents, but even though it's a smaller list, there are a lot of notable names on here, particularly on the defensive side of the football. Three players jump out immediately, Leonard Williams, Bobby Wagner, Jordan Brooks. All three of those players will be unrestricted free agents on March 13th. On the offensive side of the football, a four-year starter at guard and Damian Lewis, tight end Noah Fant, third-string running back and special teams standout DJ Dallas. Uh, you've got Devin Bush, Drew Locke. That may be a bigger free agent player here than some of the other names listed. But the Seahawks have a number of starters from this past season on here. That does not mean that they are going to be prioritized, though. When you look at this list, obviously Leonard Williams, because of what the Seahawks gave up to get it, they had to give up a second round pick and a fifth round pick for what they hope is not a half season rental. Everything that I've been told since that trade was made suggests that Leonard Williams is going to be a top priority to resign. But this guy was making over $20 million per year at his last contract. It is not going to be cheap to re-sign him, so we'll see what happens there, and maybe the most fascinating position for the Seahawks on the unrestricted free agent uh, market is going to be the linebacker spot. Right now, all three of their top linebackers from this past season, Bobby Wagner, Jordan Brooks, and Devin Bush, they will all be unrestricted free agents on their team we'll see what happens. There's reasons to believe all three of those players could be back. There's reasons to believe that all three of them could be gone. Bobby Wagner still had a fantastic season at 33 years of age. Second team, all pro led the league in tackles, had a bunch of sacks, 11 tackles for a loss. I thought it was overall a pretty solid season for him. Obviously the coverage stuff, there's still some concerns with his mobility at this stage. What limitations he provides for your defense but he still did some really great things this year Jordan Brooks coming off a torn ACL I thought had a really good season banged up late in the year with an ankle issue but I thought he played well obviously a much younger player than Bobby Wagner and then Devin Bush he's going to be the player that isn't going to command much money from this group And I would anticipate from a depth standpoint, if he enjoyed his one season in Seattle, he would be a solid backup. I don't see him as a starter at this point, but that is going to be a position that will be fascinating to watch with a new coach, which players could be back Is a new coach going to want Bobby Wagner out there, or does he prefer having a younger player like Jordan Brooks, or is it going to be a situation? Can we try to get both back? That spot is going to be fascinating. And then on the offensive side, Damian Lewis, four year starters at guard, Typically, when they hit free agency, they command quite a bit of money. And I anticipate there's going to be a lot of interest around the league. Are the Seahawks going to be able to pay anything close to what his market value is going to be? And do they want to pay that price? Same thing with Noah Fant. He had one of his worst seasons statistically last year, but a lot of it wasn't his fault. The Seahawks were not using tight ends. You could say that about Colby Parkinson to a lesser extent, too. But Those guys, I'm going to be curious to see how the market evaluates them, how other teams evaluate them, because if they don't get a flurry of money thrown at them early from other teams, Seattle could potentially bring both those guys back on short term deals at a much lower price. And then the tight end group is looking pretty solid. So there's a lot of unrestricted free agents here where it feels like there's big question marks. Even with Leonard Williams, that price tag, are the Seahawks going to be able to pay that? Do they want to pay that for a guy that's soon going to be 30 years old? I expect that he's got a number of really strong seasons left in him, but are you going to pay that price tag? So, John Schneider has got to be thinking about all these things while also putting a lot of time and investing a lot of his effort into figuring out who's going to be coaching this football team and which assistants are going to be on this football staff. So there's a lot on his plate as much as he's ever had. And that's what comes with being the sole personnel director and having final authority as the general manager. You've got a lot on your plate and then you look at the restricted and exclusive rights free agents for the Seahawks. And just to explain briefly, restricted free agents, they have the ability to be signed to offer sheets by other teams, but the Seahawks also have the flexibility to be able to match. And they can also give tenders on these players that would bring back draft picks. There's first and second round tenders. There's original round tenders, undrafted free agents. You don't get draft picks back because they weren't drafted. But there are a number of mechanisms. First Round tenders are the most expensive. Second round, a little bit cheaper. And original round is a base price, a little over $2 million. So Daryl Taylor, John Radigan, Mike Jackson, those are your three players that are restricted free agents for the Seahawks going into this offseason. Daryl Taylor is going to be fascinating because Pete Carroll was one of his biggest advocates. Does the new coach that come in, comes in, is that new coach going to have interest in bringing him back thinking he can unlock his potential? Or is it going to be time to turn the page, especially if you have to pay a first or second round tender to keep him? That's pretty good chunk of change for one year for a guy who's been very inconsistent. Mike Jackson might be a guy that you can – Have hit the market and then bring him back at a cheaper price. Maybe he's an original round tender if you're willing to pay that price. But assuming he's not going to be a starter next year, that might be too expensive for a guy that's a role player. And as for John Radigan, a lot of it depends what happens with the other linebackers. If Seattle loses two or three of their veteran linebackers, John Radigan might be brought back on a tender just out of necessity. As far as the exclusive rights free agents, Basically, those players, if the Seahawks want to keep them, they just sign them to a tender for next year. Other teams don't have the ability to sign them unless the Seahawks don't give them a tender and then they let them hit free agency. So that would be Josh Oniogu who's coming off an injury, Jake Curran, Brady Russell, who could have a role on this team if they lose a tight end or two in free agency, Safety Ty Okada, linebacker Patrick O'Connell, and then the two tackles, Raekwon O'Neill and McClendon Curtis, who the Seahawks signed off of other practice squads when Abraham Lucas got hurt in week one. Charles Cross got banged up in that game, too. Those two guys barely played this year, but they're youngsters, particularly McClendon Curtis, a senior bowl alum, might be somebody that a new coach comes in and wants to take a more extended look at. But those guys are exclusive rights free agents as well these guys are going to be cheap to re-sign. You just give them their tenders and then you bring them back. Nobody else can sign them. So we'll see how many of those players they bring back and maybe some of them come back on an even cheaper deal if they are not tendered. That happens a lot with exclusive rights, free agents that are typically your bottom of the roster players. Nonetheless, a lot of decisions for John Schneider and the rest of the front office to make with unrestricted, restricted, and exclusive rights free agents that'll be coming up here in the next few weeks. They're already working on these things behind the scenes while also trying to find a new coach. A lot on the table for John Schneider and company. Up next, going to continue our report card for the end of the season. Go to the defensive side, the edge and outside linebacker groups. Don't go away. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought to your way by FanDuel. The NFL playoffs are heading into Championship Weekend, but there's still time to get in the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in the action than Championship Weekend. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options that can be found in the parlay hub, including spreads such as the Lions being a slim underdog on the road against the 49ers, player props including Jared Goff's passing touchdown totals against a stingy San Francisco defense, over-unders, and much more. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This is Corbin Smith, your host. A special thanks to all the 12s. Thank you for tuning in and making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Continuing our end of season report card yesterday, we were talking about the running back position. We've looked at quarterbacks as well as defensive tackles. Going back to the defensive side of the football, expectations were really high at the edge rusher positions with two second round picks in the last couple of years, Boy Mafe and then this year, Derek Hall, a former second round pick in Daryl Taylor that finished last year with a flurry, six sacks in the last six games for the Seahawks. A lot of people were wondering if that was a precursor for his true breakout season. And of course, Lieutenant Nuosu, who was a Pro Bowl alternate and got a massive contract early in training camp. This was a group that there were very high expectations for. Unfortunately, aside from one player, those expectations weren't necessarily met, and there was some disappointment with some of the young players on this roster. But one player who wasn't a disappointment to me, the biggest takeaway as far as what went right, a breakout for Boye Mafe. He leads the team with nine sacks. He had seven straight games, a franchise record with a sack he cooled off some towards the end of the season but he did have a two sack game against the titans in week 16 and he nearly got to the double digit mark he had almost 60 quarterback pressures this year and he still made some quality plays against the run even if he wasn't quite as good as he was as a rookie in that regard but still a breakout year and this guy is still learning the intricacies of playing this position he is still a fairly raw player You're hoping that he's going to have the proper coaching to be able to take that next step in his third season and maybe become an all-pro, Pro Pro Bowl caliber player, which he showed flashes of being this year. We've been tough on Draymond Jones on this show, too, because of what he did in the interior. But I will give him this. When Nuosu went down late in the season, Seattle turned to Draymond Jones to play off the edge, something he did quite a bit with the Denver Broncos, and I thought that he actually played better outside than he did in the interior, and it helped compensate a little bit for what a massive loss that Nwosu was. So some credit to him. I thought there was a little bit more burst from him as a pass rusher out there, still not living up to the contract that he signed just yet. But I thought that he looked more comfortable playing in stand-up roles on the outside and, and being an edge defender than he did playing three-tech reduced inside. So kudos to him for that. And Daryl Taylor, another season where it didn't necessarily show up on the stat sheet the way it did last year, but I thought he played better over the last month or so, just like he did last year. Maybe that's something that impacts his free agency value as a restricted free agent, but he finished with five and a half sacks, almost 30 pressures on fewer than 300 pass rushing reps. So He still was making the most of his opportunities late in the season. Early in the year, it was not the case, but another strong finish for him. That is another positive for me, going back, watching the tape, and just how the end of the season played out. As far as things that didn't go well, unfortunately, this list is more lengthy. The absence of Ucheneduosu. I think everybody knew. Pete Carroll talked about this in press conferences in the few days after they found out that who had a pectoral injury. He would need surgery and his season was over. Everybody knew this was going to be a huge loss for the Seahawks. But after he exited the lineup, that is really when this run defense crumpled. This was one of the best run defenses in the NFL the first six weeks of the season. Their first five games, they were giving up under four yards per carry. This looked like a completely different run defense from the group that finished in the bottom three in 2022, but as soon as Nwosu was out of the lineup, the Seahawks couldn't find a way to come close to replacing his toughness, his physicality, and his technique against the run, whether they put in rookie Derek Hall, whether they put daryl taylor there draymond jones had his flashes but he struggled at times defending the run they didn't have anybody else that they could plug into that position frank clark was basically a non-factor for the month and a half that he was with the team for his second stint looks like there's very little left in the tank they struggled to replace him to me that was the biggest negative story with this edge rushing group defending the run and rushing the passer they couldn't find that complimentary piece to go with boy mafe once uchenna was out And that was a big issue. You look at the youngsters too. I feel like overall, the development from Daryl Taylor, he's been finishing season strong this year, not as much as last year, but why he can't for two months put anything together, that has been a consistent issue. He has been a slow starter. His run defense has been shaky at best ever since coming to the NFL. And he has said time and time again, he's going to commit more to that. It just hasn't shown up on the film. And then Derek Hall, I think Derek Hall's got a bright future, but this was a difficult rookie season for him. 11 pressures and no sacks. There weren't many contributions from him as a pass rusher. When he got his opportunities, he missed a fair number of tackles. He struggled to get off blocks at times. Those are two players you were really hoping to see in the case of Derek Hall, you were hoping him that he was going to be more of a key contributor as a rookie and Daryl Taylor, you were really hoping can he become that third standout rusher and a better run defender for us this year. And, Those things just didn't come together. They didn't have any other young rushers. Uh, They they lost Tyreek Smith, who was on the practice squad most of the year, went to the Cardinals late in the season, so he's no longer with the team. They didn't get a chance to see what he could do beyond playing in one game this year. So the depth concerns, to me, that was a huge problem, even before Utena injury there was thin depth there, and they weren't able to fill the void at all with that lack of depth that they had in that position. So that's still an area that they absolutely have got to find more players that they can rotate, and they got to hope that some of the guys on the roster, whether Daryl Taylor's here or not, Derek Hall, even Boy what's that next step look like for you? To me, that is going to be crucial for the future of this defense, regardless of who becomes the head coach. As far as grades are concerned, this was a very top-heavy grading system for me this year. I thought Boy Mafé was not quite as effective late in the season. He didn't have the same juice rushing the passer. Still had quite a few pressures in the second half of the season, though. And the fact he almost got to 60 pressures and double-digit sacks, it was a standout year for him. So a rock-solid B and 85. Uchenna Nwosu, I gave an 83. The pass-rushing numbers were not near where I expected they would be in his first six games before he got hurt. But he was so good against the run – and just the leadership that he brings to this defense, so a solid B for him as well. The other two edge defenders that had enough snaps at this position have much worse grades. Daryl Taylor, if we want to have a positive with him, he did have an average tackle depth of 3.4 yards this year against the run, which is better than it has been, but he still missed way too many tackles. There were still way too many plays, particularly in short yards and goal line situations where he was getting blown up by opposing linemen, and he had under 30 pressures, and his pressure rate, his pass rush win rate this year, was barely over 6%. That just isn't going to cut it for a guy whose strength is supposed to be rushing the passer. As for Derek Hall, there were flashes. He had some nice tackles for loss in the backfield, but in between those occasional flashes, there were long stretches where... He really was non-existent on defense. He did give them some punch on special teams, so kudos there. But they need him to take a massive step forward next year for the new coaching staff. And he can be able to impact rushing the passer, which he really didn't do much at all as a rookie. And his run defense, he's got to be more consistent. There's been more flashes from him than Daryl Taylor, but there's also still been a lot of negative plays that need to be cleaned up for him to get a bigger role on this defense moving forward. As always, you can follow me on X and Threads at Corbin Smith NFL. Make sure to follow and subscribe Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcast to ensure you don't miss a single episode. Coming up tomorrow, I'll be rejoined by Nick Lee after missing last week's Blue Friday episode. We will be diving into whether or not Teams like the Seahawks are focusing too much on offensive and defensive coordinators in their coaching search and much more. Make sure you're listening in and enjoy the rest of your Thursday night. Go Hawks.